This Sunday on Capital Connection, federal prosecutors charge former Speaker Michael Madigan's chief of staff, Tim Mapes. The whole Madigan sphere is what we want to make sure is never put back together again. How the push from federal prosecutors reignited a stalling ethics debate in Springfield. Plus, I'm not going to say gerrymandering because I don't necessarily believe that. Democrats insist the political maps are fair. And I think the maps are fair, and I think the maps uh, are legal, and I think they're going to uh, withstand a challenge. House Democrat Marcus Evans and State Senator John Curran join us. It's all coming up on Capital Connection. From the Illinois State Capitol Rotunda, Capitol Bureau Chief Mark Maxwell is asking the tough questions. This is Capital Connection. Welcome to Capital Connection. I'm Mark Maxwell reporting from the Illinois State House on this Sunday, May 30th. Just about one day left until the end of deadline at midnight on Memorial Day. Tomorrow, lawmakers have to finish all of their work before they go home for summer break. A lot of work left to do in these final hours, including finalizing a budget and also coming up with a deal if there will be one on a new energy legislation overhaul. And the House and Senate approved a new constitutional amendment. Republicans joined with Democrats in both chambers to approve a question that would essentially ban right to work zones in Illinois. We've talked to House Democrat Marcus Evans about why he wants to see that happen in Illinois next. You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. Welcome back. Our guest joining us now is House Democrat Marcus Evans, who has been leading the push to uh, change the state's constitution, but maybe not in the way you thought. There's been a lot of conversation. First of all, uh, thanks for joining us. No, my pleasure. Again, thank you for being here, getting the message out to the people. There's been a lot of pushes lately to change the constitution. There was that one about the graduated income tax. There were pushes in the past to change, uh, to require fair or independent maps on the constitution. Uh, but your idea is a bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, do I do I understand this correctly? It would essentially ban right to work in Illinois, right to work zones, right yeah. to work anything in the Constitution. Yeah, and it is to be clear, right to work is this term that's been created. But getting to the core, what is right to work? Right to work is all about tearing down workers' rights, eliminating collective bargaining opportunities for individuals, which in turn will drive down wages. That's the agenda of right to work. So uh, across the country, people have pushed for right-to-work laws, various laws. It's not one specific right-to-work law. There's, there's these ideas, different bills and ideas. And uh, what we want to say here in Illinois is we don't want any of those ideas. And hopefully that the people of Illinois would say that the rights of workers and the right to collectively bargain and to have uh, a, a quality compensation is important. And that's, that's what I propose in, in Senate Joint Resolution 11, uh, which passed. And, uh, and I filed a House Joint Resolution Constitution Amendment 34. So uh, the House and Senate both passed this question to the ballot, so voters get to weigh in on, in 2022, is that right? Yes, if, in the general election. In the general election. So there's, there's, a, there's a general election, the governor is up for re-election uh, in that same year, and on that ballot you'll see a question whether or not to enshrine collective bargaining rights for all workers in the whole state? Yeah, but not enshrine. Again, those rights already exist. This bill is about stopping legislation to diminish those rights, okay? So the Constitution... So amendment, once it's in the Constitution, then no little law that comes along behind it can change it. You've got to go back and change the Constitution at that point. Yeah, so things like eliminating collective bargaining, uh, things like 
you know, uh, stopping individuals from having the right to organize. There's laws being proliferated all over the country to do these things. We're saying here in Illinois, the rights that people have now to be in a union, to not be in a union, to be properly compensated, you can't create laws on a local level, on the state level, to diminish those rights. So it's the ultimate trump card, essentially, coming, down, coming in and saying, we're going to protect collective bargaining statewide. You can't diminish uh, the collective bargaining process. Uh, but it looks the way it's written like it could be interpreted pretty vastly. Yeah, I think the, the point of a constitutional amendment is, is to do that, to have a, a general, vast view. And of course, the courts and the, through legal battles, a lot of those things will be clarified. But you don't want the Constitution to be too uh, narrow and focused because we want to encapsulate a lot of folks, but yet be fair and not encapsulate too many. So you make it broad, and then over time, it'll be analyzed and it'll get clarity. But broadness is very important in the Constitution. There are a lot of states surrounding Illinois that have uh, these so-called right-to-work laws. Of course, critics, I presume uh, Representative Evans might call them right-to-work for less. We've heard that sure. tagline. Uh, but it really comes down to workers' wages and how, how people can uh, you know, you know strengthen numbers, right? They come yeah. together and negotiate uh, these contracts. But on the flip side, there are, there are people uh, in the corporate world or in the sort of libertarian economic world who would say, hey, that's that worker's choice. Yeah. If they choose to work for lower wages, that may, maybe they can chew up a larger portion of the market share in their neighborhood, or they can compete. It gives them a competitive advantage if they can offer a client a lower price because they're not collecting as much in wages. How do you address that argument that, well, that's the free market, so be it? Yeah, well, the, the United States is not a, a true 100% free market capitalist society. We're somewhere in between with this, with this mesh of fairness, with this mesh of capitalism, and, but we don't just leave people hanging. You know, We have a minimum wage, correct? We have a variety of parameters. We have all types of labor laws that set a base on how workers should be treated. And we have to continue to analyze that base. Are we requiring that businesses pay people enough to survive? Are we requiring that businesses offer uh, living wages? These are philosophical conversations that we continue to debate every year. And, uh, but we're putting our foot in the stand in the House Democrats and here in Illinois. Uh, and Republicans in the House and Senate. Uh, some voted yeah, to approve yes, this idea. For sure. So it was bipartisan. Again, those Republicans who choose to support uh, workers' rights, jumped on, and I thank those individuals. Uh, we had 80 votes in the House. It was bipartisan in the Senate as well. And I think uh, some folks want to stand up for working-class folks, and I'm one of those individuals. It's interesting to watch this, and I would put a pin in this idea about uh, labor and organizing and collective bargaining and right to work for 2022. It could become a campaign issue, whether yeah. that's in the governor's race or somewhere else, but this whole idea of how much a worker is entitled to or is enabled to earn uh, why is that so important to the makeup of Illinois? Uh, how a person uh, goes about defining their worth in the marketplace, but also maybe in society. Do, how much of that derives from their paycheck? Yeah, well, again, it's about ensuring that if you work, and, and this country is based off something, okay? Uh, you go back to the 1800s when we didn't have any workers' laws at all. Of course, the worker was taken advantage of, poor conditions. But in this society, we have environmental justice. We have a minimum wage, we have weekends off, we have paid vacation. We have all these things in our country. So the country's made a decision that workers should be valued and appreciated. We have to continue to analyze what that means. I believe it means something, someone else may believe something else. We have to make sure our policy reflects our values and that workers should be appreciated and compensated justly.
Can you guarantee that if this becomes a part of the Constitution, that wages will go up in Illinois? No, and I don't think that's the intention, to, to guarantee anything. Uh, we want to set a baseline uh, that workers should be appreciated. Whether or not the wages continue to go up, we definitely don't want them to go down. So keeping stagnant wages and fair wages for business is important. We don't want businesses to be uh, ran over in rough shop. This is not a socialist society. Uh, we're a capitalist society, so we want the survival of the fittest. We want the strong workers to get the opportunities, but we definitely don't want workers to be taken advantage of. It's an interesting question. It's also a bit of a litmus test in the Republican Party, or there are at least some who want to make it one. There was a conservative blog uh, that wrote a letter calling for uh, the resignation or removal of the newly minted Senate Republican leader, Dan McConkie, because he allowed this uh, vote to take place. He allowed Republicans in the Senate to vote for it. Yeah. It seems that, that th there are some in the Republican Party, this is their red line. Yeah. They don't want to cross it. What do you make of that? Yeah, and I think uh, they should talk to the people in their communities, you know. When I go around the state, there's a lot of folks who are working class and struggling paycheck to paycheck. Uh, who do these people represent? Because when I'm in Republican communities, I don't see a lot of rich folks. You know, I see working class individuals. And this Workers' Rights Amendment is about those individuals. We didn't do this for Democrats or, or city people or suburban people. We did this for the entire state. It is interesting to watch, uh, certainly. I, I want to ask you, though, about this before we move on to other topics. Mm -hmm. As we consider how people go about getting paid, how yeah. much they get paid, what do you make of this? Uh, do, do we have an overheated economy right now? I inflation seems to be eating into uh, buying power for people in, in uh, low income or middle class. As we see the inflation start to creep up, how long before people start to feel like, you know, I don't know if I have enough money to go around? Yeah, but, that, but that's not a new issue. Well, and it's, it's, a, it's an ex accelerated issue coming out of the pandemic with all the stimulus money that's yeah. coming out. But, but that's why we make good policy to set baselines because we want to ensure that the rights that people have are not scaled back due to the fluctuations in economies. Because we also know that some business folks, not all, uh, take advantage of current market opportunities. And we don't want anything to be done to, to claw back the rights of the working class uh, because of fluctuations in market behavior. It has to be some baseline of uh, protections for the workers. How would you describe the status of the middle class in America? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a tough thing because right now we have the super rich, the 1%, and they're continuing to gobble up uh, opportunities. New jobs being created, we gotta ensure that those have living wages. There's a lot of new jobs being created like the Ubers and the Lyfts and some of these various industries that are not producing living wage jobs. So any opportunity we can to protect uh, good rights and good uh, employment must be protected and, and we have to do it intentionally with our legislation. Do you see a link between the middle class economically and the middle of the road politically? Those, those moderates, those people who might like some democratic yeah. ideas, some Republican ideas. Is there a link between, it seems what we're seeing on the political side, a polarization, a divide, right? People surging one way or the other. Yeah. If there was a stronger middle class, what effect would that have on our politics? I think it would have a big effect because again, middle, flat, middle class individuals can pay their bills, but many of those folks engage in a political process because they have the wherewithal and the money to do it. You're never gonna have everybody in a super rich, that's the 1%, but we need a larger middle class. But we have to be strategic, we gotta create jobs and protect employment that pays people middle class living wages. And we have to continue to define what that means and be intentional. Yeah, your, your colleague from Freeport, I have to ask you, it just came across my mind. Your colleague from Freeport, Andrew Chesney, said on the floor of the house, this was just some ploy yeah. to get campaign contributions from labor unions. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I think that's his opinion. And again, he, he 
ventured off from being an elected, from being a public servant to becoming a politician on the floor, and it's always the balance. Uh, I just adamantly disagree with him. You know, the Democrats are supported by labor, but so are Republicans. You can check the D2s. Uh, so I just reject that, that comment. I think this is about the working class of man and woman. Very interesting. All right, uh, by the time this will have aired, uh, the House and Senate may have already cast votes on this issue of ethics. So we don't know the final language of what will be in this bill. Let me talk about the broad strokes, the aim of this idea. Why does Illinois need tougher ethics laws? Yeah, we all need ethics laws, and they, could, they have to be continued to be examined. Even if it means you've got to tell us where you get all of your income from? Yeah, but I think we should be comfortable doing that. And let's be honest, in 2021, if you really want to find out what elected official is doing, I mean, there's, there's very few secrets in this business. Well, it's taken the feds quite a while to make their case. Yeah, but I don't know what case you're referring to. Well, because I'm speaking to the case around Speaker Madigan, Tim Mapes. Oh, you Mike said McClain. you. You said you. I, no, 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 no. no. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not aware of any ongoing federal investigation <laughs> oh, no, into you, yeah. unless you want to break some news here. No, no, no. I say that in jest. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm saying you suggested if we want to know exactly where people get their income, it's easy to do these days. I'd say the federal prosecutors might tell you it takes a couple of years, and they have a lot more uh, spying ability than we do. Yeah, I don't know if that case, because I can't speak to that case. I haven't really studied up on it. Uh, I think that case um, had something to do with something that has nothing to do with what we're doing in ethics. Mostly sure. what we're doing in ethics is really about understanding uh, the agenda of elected officials prior to us voting on legislation. You want to know if I have an interest in something and whether or not that was income in the combat case, I'm just not sure. But I can only speak to the current members here and we want to be, most of my colleagues are saying we don't have a lot of secrets, we want to be transparent. Uh, so I support ethics legislation. I know I'm not a rich guy, and if I was making money on the outside, I'm very open to talk about that. I think people are. You raise a fair point. Maybe the Sandoval Link case was a better example where there was discussion of, do you have a baloney company? Mm -hmm. uh, that was part of the transcript from uh, one of the federal prosecutor's indictments. Uh, basically, the insinuation was, do you have a shell company on the side that I can send payments to that you can benefit from as an elected official? that LLC or that baloney company would have to be, uh, should that have to be disclosed? If lawmakers have some network of different companies out there that they derive wealth from, yeah. should the public know? Yeah, yeah secrets should be uh, exposed. I anything, not just whether it's the example you use in baloney company, anything. If you have an interest in something, if your husband has an interest, if your children's, if you have an agenda. That could get uncomfortable for family members. Again, but it should, again, Public service is public service. You don't have to do these jobs. Other people can. Devil's advocate, should a person's spouse yeah. have to endure the glaring light of public scrutiny just because they chose to run for public office? I think these are the conversations which we must determine. There's some that say they don't. I'm not opposed to being crystal clear that anything that we have should be put on the table and all those discussions should be had because those are the things, the business interests. A lot of people talk about employment or your investments, but truly, what are you, what is influencing you before you make a decision? I think most members of this assembly are open to discuss that, and I think those things are on the table. I'm on the ethics committee in the House, and we're putting everything on the table, and uh, we're going to try to pass, uh, I think, an ethics bill uh, because, again, the vast majority of the members are ethical. All right. Uh, are you okay with how this map process is going down? Yeah, uh, what, what do you mean by okay? I think you're asking me... Um, well, you know. for example, Jewish groups, Muslim groups, mm -hmm. Hispanic groups, voters' rights groups, and African-American gentlemen from uh, a voting rights group as well, uh, they've all testified. A social studies uh, teacher from a high school scolded the House committee uh, on Wednesday for not being transparent. 
almost, I think one of the only people to testify in favor of this process is on the payroll of the House and Senate Dems. Someone who's got a big contract to analyze, and he's an expert in, in redistricting, but you had to pay somebody to, to speak favorably about the way this process is going. Almost everybody out there with these different groups feel like it's being rushed through for political gain. You know, you say everybody, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think individuals who choose to show up at hearings all have a specific agenda. Maybe they don't like the map, maybe they like the map. I think there's a lot of discussions around the map. I think uh, the House Democrats um, and the Senate Democrats have done everything legally uh, to follow the protocol to produce uh, a map that's fair for all communities. That is my understanding, and I don't, I don't see anything beyond that. I know across, I'm, I'm involved in NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislators. I know this process is similar across the country. I know there's a lot of complaints from minority communities in North Carolina and Texas uh, about uh, the extreme gerrymandering. I know the Supreme Court has put out a uh, ruling, I think a couple of years ago, uh, specifically mentioning that the process is is allowed to be controlled by the majority party in various states. There, there, was, there was a decision made for the Supreme Court. So my understanding that the law has been followed here in the state of Illinois. Political gerrymandering is okay. The Supreme Court has said racial gerrymandering is not. Diluting the voices of minority communities is uh, would not be in compliance with the, the laws the Supreme Court has said. And in this state, can you at least concede that these maps, I think I saw one national political commentator say this was gerrymandering hardball because of the way it lumped Republicans into districts with each other in these cage match primaries. There's a little bit of political shenanigans at work here, aren't there? Yeah, but I don't believe so. I mean, again, I really? think that I don't believe so. Yeah, you asking me. So what I'm seeing is that the, the law has been followed. And I think that the maps are uh, just a reflection. But you of, just got done yeah. saying that political gerrymandering is legal. No, I didn't say I didn't say political. I didn't say the word gerrymandering. Yes, you said. Well, okay, but you said you said these <laughs> maps are legal. Yeah, and we, the law has been followed. We That's, can't. Yeah. Now, Jerry, because gerrymandering is one of those conversations where I'm not going to say gerrymandering because I don't necessarily believe that. But if you believe that, I'm, I'm open to hearing what you're saying. I think that these maps, the, the law was followed to produce these maps, and I think the maps are fair, and I think the maps uh, are legal, and I think they're going to uh, withstand a challenge because uh, we, want, we want to follow the law here, and we want to make sure that minority communities are valued. I represent a minority community. I think in a, in a past map, my com uh, minority community received proper representation on the map, and I believe they, they, they do as well on this one. I think it's a very fair map uh, that followed the law. If history is our guide, he's probably right. The courts would uphold this. There's only one wrinkle here, and that's that mm -hmm. we don't have the full census data. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask you about the state house maps. I'm not going to ask you about the judicial maps, the yeah. Supreme Court maps. But the congressional maps, the U.S. Constitution says it right there. The whole purpose of the census is for the apportionment, the dividing of those districts in Congress. I don't know if that constitutional leg you have to stand on is as strong for the congressional maps as it might be for the, the State House and the judicial maps. How do you evaluate that question? If this body passes congressional maps without census data, are you sure that's constitutional? Yeah, I think the joy is every state is dealing with the same issue. They are. We, we had a very inept president in President Trump, and uh, the resources were not properly given to the U.S. Census Bureau, so everybody's data is being delayed. So I think this is a national problem. But everybody's problem. deadline isn't the same. You're, you're right, there are other yeah, states. Yeah, but everybody, yeah, other states do. So even, even the ones that, that have deadline, they're still trying to figure it out. They want to get started working. So I'm talking to folks all over across the country. This is a, this is a big issue. Uh, I don't have the solution to the issue. I know uh, the clock doesn't stop. So we want to move forward here. My understanding here in Illinois is that, look, we, we want to move forward, get the work done. Uh, if adjustments have to be made, I'm sure our leadership would. 
or would not, but I believe that eventually they'll be uh, constitutional and then we'll move forward to finishing up our process. So we have delays from the coronavirus butting up against uh, deadlines in the Constitution, and we'll see which one of those two gets the upper hand. Uh, yeah, yeah, again, the, the, the struggles of uh, society, whether it be coronavirus, whether it be uh, the, all the other issues, our businesses have to deal with that too. Our workers have to deal with that too. And government must move forward and figure this thing out. Um, you know, we hope we don't get another coronavirus next year, but because this is a very challenging year, but we're, we're figuring things out. And I think we're going to get to the finish line. Don't jinx us like that. Ugh, All right. House Democrat Marcus Evans, very generous with your time. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you so much for what you do. We're back in just a moment. You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. Federal prosecutors added a bit of intrigue to this final week of the deadline uh, facing us here in Springfield, dropping an indictment against former House Speaker Michael Madigan's chief of staff, Tim Mapes, his longtime gatekeeper. That news igniting new momentum under the push for stronger ethics laws to crack down on corruption in Illinois. Joining us now is State Senator Republican John Curran, who's been leading the charge uh, in that caucus for uh, tougher ethics laws. Uh, what did you make of this indictment? The federal prosecutors granted Tim Mapes immunity. The, the court said, you can tell us the truth. You won't face prosecution. And yet the one thing you can't do is lie. Now he's facing charges of obstructing justice and lying to the grand jury. You know, Mark, uh, great to be with you. I w this is yet another reminder of uh, you know, the ComEd scheme, which was a, cr a corrupt criminal scheme to defraud uh, the citizens of Illinois. We know this because ComEd has already pled guilty. Um, and that scheme is what we need to deal with. In terms of Mr. Mapes, at the time, you know, admittedly a former employee, at the time he testified in front of the grand jury, and, um, you know, lying to a grand jury, um, uh, obstructing justice, not exactly something that we're, we're getting at with our ethics proposals. What he, what he was lying about, that's the heart of what we're getting at. The whole Madigan sphere is what we want to make sure is never put back together again because at the end of the day, it defrauded the citizens of Illinois. Let's get into that a little bit. So prosecutors uh, had questioned or interrogated uh, Tim Mapes and now his defense attorneys say that his answers I do not recall or that he didn't have any recollection of these moments were truthful answers. The feds seem to have evidence. They haven't laid that out for us yet. First of all, as a prosecutor, just analyze that. He says, I don't know, I don't recall. They said, yeah, you do. What do they have? Do, is, do, can you read the inference there? Is it a wiretap conversation? I or mean, is it, it, would, um, it, it would all be speculation on my part, Mark, but uh, they seem oftentimes in a grand jury, they already know the answer to the question they're asking you. They already have evidence. What they're doing is they're locking you in as, as a witness testifying for further use um, in a court proceeding. That's all they were doing there. They already, they weren't looking for new information from Mr. Mapes. So it would be if, if as alleged, he chose not to be fully forthright and disclosed, that's a very foolish thing for anyone to do when you are, uh, you swear under oath and testify in any proceeding. Are, are there any preconditions on granting this immunity, this protection to a witness before a grand jury, or is that just well, it typical? Was, it was uh, approved by uh, Judge Palmeyer, which is, um, it, again, is something that when we talk about... But that's what, giving up leverage if what, you're a prosecutor, right? If, well, it, 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 
it is and it isn't, but at the end of the day, this was all, this was approved by the judge over, over the case, which is, you know, if, if I could pivot for a second, is also akin to when we're talking about our proposal on extending wiretapping authority uh, for public corruption to local prosecutors, that's a process that would go through the, before a judge to get approval. So it's, it's very similar to what's going on here in the feds that the feds are utilizing. And again, we need to unleash our local prosecutors to act in that same manner with judi proper judicial oversight. All right, uh, you had proposed earlier this session that uh, there should be powers at the Attorney General's office to impanel a statewide grand jury. And also, as you just alluded to, giving uh, prosecutors in every county across the state the power to get wiretaps. They'd have to go to a judge to get them first, but this could, uh, as you suggested, give uh, prosecutors ways, tools to gather evidence to hunt down corruption. Uh, here's what Attorney General Kwame Raoul said on Thursday this week when we asked him about that idea. I am supportive of, of um, I've spoken to Senator Kern and I've let him know that I'm supportive of, of, of our office having that um, uh, grand jury authority. So it sounds like he's on board with this idea. Do you have confidence that other Democrats in the House and Senate are on board with giving political prosecutors, these are, uh, they, they run as political candidates to get into that prosecutor's office? You comfortable with giving them power to wiretap other politicians? Um, so I would tell you two very different and distinct proposals. The proposal on expanding the, the use of the statewide grand jury for public corruption for the Attorney General to uh, get more involved and active in this space. I think that has bipartisan support from my conversations, it, it, but is not something that's been called to have a hearing and move forward. Wiretapping, I, we're gonna have to develop a little more testimony. Those conversations have been a little more difficult, um, but it is certainly an idea, and I appreciate the Attorney General's uh, support on it because both ideas are, are critical. If we're gonna move past this, system we're currently in where we're wholly relying on the federal authorities to police what goes on in the state of Illinois in, the, in, in terms of public corruption. At the time of this interview, we don't know what will be in the final bill. By the time this interview airs, that might have already gone to the floor. So uh, it's a bit of a timing issue here as, as we try to understand. But if I read you correctly, it sounds like you don't expect to see the wiretapping powers for prosecutors in the final ethics package. I do not, but I'm, I'm hopeful we can at least get the expansion of the statewide grand jury and, and start having the conversations and continue to work on wiretapping authority for local prosecutors. Right now, to run for public office, you have to file a statement of economic interest with the Secretary of State's office. Uh, state legislators have to do that, that's already part of the law. But there's a lot of blind spots in that statement of economic interest. There's still. For example, we can see if you own an LLC, we can see the name of it. We don't know how much money comes to it. We don't know where, who the clients are. We don't really know much about it other than the name. You know, we can find some of that out through other reporting or investigative methods, but it's not already immediately transparent. How will that process change? So uh, we need greater disclosure. We have um, been voicing this for years. And in fact, uh, Leader McConkey had our original proposal um, that I've now adopted moving forward. Uh, for, for greater tra uh, disclosure and transparency and really in a manner that uh, the public can understand um, and get a, you know, get a sense of what I have um, going on outside of my elected office. So um, those disclosures will be enhanced. We have proposals from the Democrats uh, as well as our proposal. We're working on reconciling the two. 
admittedly, the Democrats have some very good ideas in theirs. Uh, I, te I testified to that uh, in committee uh, with uh, Chair uh, Gillespie, Senator Gillespie. Um, so, you know, we're, we're working through that, but I'm confident at the end of the day we can get a good, solid um, uh, enhancement to the statement of economic interest. Should a person's spouse have to, if you're running for office, should we, should the public know where your spouse gets their income? Yes, because that's commingled funds within a household. Any commingled funds within a household should be disclosed to, to the public. How far does that go? Immediate family? Household. Just so children. So, so if you have a child that lives outside the household that is not in the commingled um, funds of, of 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 the household, then I would say that that's outside. But if if they are within, if it's something where they're also contributing, maybe to the mortgage or. Uh, or, or just the overall financial picture, uh, picture of that household, then they should be involved. And that's not a new concept in other areas. Will this strengthen the, and we're talking about state legislators, but right now there's a lot we don't know about where Governor Pritzker, for example, gets all of his wealth. There's a statement of economic interest, but we haven't seen his full tax returns. There's a lot of questions around that. How would this address his situation or the office of the governor? Would they have to give more information? They will have to be more forthright in the disclosure of the governor's assets, which would be, uh, I think, an enhancement. It's something that the public uh, is entitled to. And, you know, hopefully as we get this passed, that is something. And um, th that is something that all office holders, not targeted specifically at the governor, everyone on down from the governor, we all serve in these uh, capacities of, of, of great responsibility and public trust. And, and we should be very full, forthright and frank in our uh, disclosures. But this piece of legislation would not require uh, a candidate for governor or a, a governor to hand over their full tax returns? It does not, no. Was that ever considered? That was not discussed. We were, we were focusing on office holders. Um, quite frankly, the focus has really been on the General Assembly, the General Assembly members. Um, you know, when, when we're looking back at the situations of Arroyo and Sandoval and, um, you know, some of the other office holders have run, run afoul, we really thought we needed to tighten up um, the, general the General Assembly and the disclosures. So as reporters start to examine the record and, and the potential conflicts that lawmakers might have, what are we going to see now that we don't see? Or what are we going to see in, in this, uh, in the future that we don't see now? You mentioned uh, vaguely that we would see more information about the disclosure. Of, okay, but like, what does that look you like? You know, so sources of income, um, you're going to see greater disclosure with regarding gifts, greater disclosure on sources of income. You're any gifts over $500 and, or any gifts at all? Well, it's going to be any gifts over $500, um, but we, we do not want a family member exemption, and so that's something we're fighting for. Is we, this a we want any Do people give lawmakers gifts? Often, I have not received the gift over five hundred dollars, so no, no, I don't think it's often. But we want it disclosed to make sure, make sure, make sure it's out there. We also, uh, it's really, we also want to get into the debt, creditors and debtors. So it's very important to understand if office holders are, are beholden financially to someone in, in a credit or debt situation. Debtor, debtor situation. Right now, that's not disclosed. That is a big blind spot that we have that the public needs to understand, needs to know about when, when they evaluate um, whether or not an office holder, uh, a member of the General Assembly, is acting first and foremost in, in the public's best interest. You thought your credit score was invasive. Oh, well, you know, let's get there. Very interesting. Uh, so sometimes it's helpful to evaluate these ethics rules 
through the lens of real life examples. So we understand, are, are we gonna see more about this case, that case? Your colleague, Senator Severson in Rockford, sells insurance. One of his clients is the company that's building a casino in Rockford. The casino in Rockford is created because Senator Severson, for years, advocated for it, brought people here to lobby for it, and now his company is making money off of that project. Should the public be able to see that? So I was on the floor when the casino for Rockford passed in a larger, expansive bill. Um, Senator Severson did not create the casino in Rockford. He also did not disclose a conflict of interest and he voted for it. The casino in Rockford was created by the General Assembly, all members voting on it, bipartisan, bicameral in the House and the Senate and signed into law by the governor. So, you know, it would be a misnomer to, to put out there to the public that any one legislator is able to create something. We are not, we are not empowered with that, with, with that authority. Having said that, uh, Senator, Se Senator Severson um, has been abiding by all ethics requirements. Um, we, we are highly advised by our ethics officers, uh, our ethics officer, and um, disclosures ha have, have been appropriate in terms of what are currently called for under the law. Do you, do you think that's an ethical arrangement? What, say it again. Do you think that's an ethical arrangement that he would sell insurance to the company that's building the casino project I, that he, he helped? I mean, he bragged about helping bring that casino to Rockford. That was a big part of his you public know, and, focus. And I bragged about, sh about shutting down an ethylene oxide uh, facility um, that was Do you have uh, a financial stake in that poisoning residents in my area. I mean, we, we fight for economic development in our area. We also f fight for safe, clean water, clean air. That's what we do. If the casino in Rockford is going to be an economic benefit for the citizens of Rockford, then every legislator that was involved in, in trying to um, bring that economic development to the area should be talking about it because at the end of the day, our job is to enhance the lives of those citizens we represent. We ask because there, it's not just the casino in Rockford, the gaming industry at large, there's been some of those issues in, in video gaming with the former Senate Republican leader. There's been other issues with uh, former uh, House Democrat Speaker Madigan's close uh, confidant, longtime aide or longtime uh, ally, I should say, Lou Lang, as uh, a consultant for the Danville Casino. There's a lot of different lawmakers that somehow just sort of gravitated toward all the different cash flow st streams that were created there. You find would, that interesting? I would tell you, Mark, all. Um any example um, cited in the past dealing with former or current legislators should be a roadmap, should be a guide to the legislation we're putting forward that are going to require greater disclosures and, and more restrictions on lawmakers. Talk about revolving door, not being able uh, on, on one day to be a legislator, the next day to be lobbying the legislature. We're trying to take several steps forward mm -hmm. to make this a, a, a better, more transparent and ethical process down here. And all those examples should be roadmaps and guides for us that we should learn from. And I, I think we are doing that in what the Senate Republicans have proposed. What do you make of ComEd and Exelon coming back to the State House after the deferred prosecution, after all the heat and scrutiny they face from federal prosecutors, from the Special Investigative Committee here, and again, they have their handout asking for state taxpayers to bail out their nuclear plants or to subsidize them with uh, a big chunk of taxpayer funds. What do you make of that? You know, ComEd and Exelon have a heightened, um, heightened scrutiny around their proposal. At the end of the day, if they can meet that burden, that it is to the 
in the best interest of the citizens of the residents of Illinois to have that nuclear fleet uh, receive additional subsidies. The, 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 the clean energy it provides, the, the low cost energy it provides, and the jobs it provides the area. If they can meet that threshold, we, at the end of the day, we have to act in the best interest of the, of the state of Illinois. We can't allow what has, what has happened in the past to, to completely sideline or, or, or hurt us in the energy space where we do need to deal with ComEd and Exelon and, and the scheme that was put forward is in ethics enhancement, is in granting prosecutors RICO wiretapping authority, and in also getting the Attorney General more involved in combating public corruption by expanding the statewide grand jury. Those are the proposals that are aimed at the ComEd scheme. And those are the proposals we should be talking about and moving forward. So in the future, we're, it's not going to be the federal authorities four or five years later um, un untangling everything. We're going to have the attorney general. We're going to have local prosecutors on top of it on day one. And, and that's the type of deterrent that's going to keep those bad actors from ever attempting something like that again. Very interesting. The energy, the ethics, it's all tied together. Senator Curran, thank you for joining us. Uh, in 2022, when we see you walking down a street in a parade holding a sign somewhere, what's the office on the front of that sign that you'll be running for? Uh, actually, so the sign's orange and blue. Uh, graduated in University of Illinois. Yeah. Uh, proud of alum and uh, former football player there. And it's going to say State Senate, as it currently says. And, very full, and I'm hopeful we're going to be have parades and we'll be out there shaking hands and we're going to get back to that sense of normalcy. Um, it'd be wonderful to be back in, in, in that space campaigning. All right. Sounds like he likes the job he has now. Senator Curran, thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks, Mark. We're back in just a moment. You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. That does it for us this week. Lawmakers will continue working throughout today and tomorrow on Memorial Day. That's deadline day. We'll have continuing coverage for you from the State House here. We hope you'll join us for the same time next week for a full recap on everything legislators have accomplished and those things that didn't quite get done. Also, our full extended interviews are up available on our website. You can find them there. We hope you'll join us at the same time next Sunday for Capital Connection. I'm Mark Maxwell. Stay connected to the Capitol all week. Follow us on Twitter at CapConnectIL or watch reports from our Capitol team on WCIA3. You can also find us on Facebook or WCIA.com.